We're happy to be here, and we uh, appreciate so much the opportunity, the invitation to come for this weekend series of studies and meetings, of gathering together to worship, to study, and just to uh, think about things on cold winter days and to encourage one another in a spiritual way. And we appreciate so much the invitation to be here, and Kathy and I appreciate it so much. And we appreciate the congregation here uh, for the support and the love that's shown to uh, Josh and Tiffany and Hattie Joe, and we appreciate that. That's always very encouraging uh, to see that your children are in a good place uh, with a good group of people trying to do what's right and trying to serve the Lord. And that's what it's all about, that we're trying to serve the Lord, trying to get to heaven. I like what uh, Harold Carter used to pray in his prayer. He would always say, Father, we're not ashamed to say we want to go to heaven. And that's the way it ought to be. We need to be a people that are not ashamed that we want to go to heaven. That's our ultimate goal, is to try to get to heaven. Well, as you see the topic on the board, every godly person is always concerned about the local congregation presently and the future of the congregation. We don't have a crystal ball to look into and never know what the future holds. Don't know if the Chinese will overrun or the Muslims will overrun our country or the North Koreans or whatever. I have no idea what the future holds. But we do know that the Bible gives indication of the future of any congregation, whether the congregation here or congregation wherever they may be throughout the world, and indicates to us what is important and necessary, what's essential for the future good of the congregation. And that's our study tonight, and we hope that we'll take it to heart and think about it uh, in, in a good way and try to be what God would have us to be. There's a, fra- there's a common phrase that we'll see as we look at these uh, first several verses, and I think you'll be able to pick it out as we read just two or three of the verses here, and, and you'll see that common word between them. In the book of Matthew chapter 24 and in verse 45, it says, uh, verse 45, it says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, uh, to give them meat in due season. And then notice there in the parable of the talents, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, uh, the Lord says to the five-talent man, He says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, uh, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And then notice there in the book of Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16 and in verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also that which is much. He that is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. And then we turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want you to notice there number 2. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards. A steward is somebody who manages somebody's household. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And then consider the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, notice there in number 7. Colossians 4, number 7. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who, who, is a, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And then notice verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things that are done here. 
And then uh, the very familiar text in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, well, the, the last statement there, but reading the whole verse, it says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life. Well, I guess you picked out the common phrase in all these verses. Yep, it's the word faithful. And if you look at the future of any congregation, it's going to be related to that word, faithful people. When we define the word faithful as an interesting term, it means trusty. I like that, trusty. He's just a real trusty kind of person. Trusty, faithful. Of persons who show themselves faithful in the commands or the discharge of official duties. One who kept his plighted. Oh, I didn't know what plighted means, so I looked that up. So I put the definition up there so we will know. A plighted faith, that is a solemn pledge. That is, we are dedicated to faith. That we, that we have this solemn dedication to keep the faith. That's what the idea of plighted. A plighted faith. One who has kept his plighted faith worthy of trust that can be relied on. That's the flavor. That's the definition. That's the concept when we read this word faithful in the scriptures. What God is looking for, what the congregation needs is faithful people. The future, the, well, the present and the future of the congregation is dependent upon faithful people. And there are two verses in particular that we're going to look at that emphasizes this point. That the future, the forecast of any congregation of God's people and the work of the Lord is related to this concept of being faithful. Understand in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 once again. We look now at number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at number 17. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, or Timothy, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Did you see the connection there? Paul says, what I got, it came from Jesus. And Paul says, what I got from Jesus, then I've committed to Timothy. And Timothy, he's come in to follow Paul in the work there at Corinth and to teach the Corinthians as a faithful servant, a reliable, trustworthy, a trusty person that is committed to the Lord's truth and committed to the Lord's way, committed to godliness and righteousness and goodness and trying to stand in the old paths. You see, what Paul got, he got from Christ. He gave it to Timothy. Timothy's passing it on to Corinth. And it will be Corinth's responsibility then to pass it on to others. And then look at this passage in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice there in verse 2. Paul says, And the things which thou hast... And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Do you see that connection there? Do you see how the line, the torch is passed from generation to generation, from person to person? What Paul received, Paul was a faithful servant of the Lord, faithful to the truth, faithful to the old paths, faithful to the calls and to the teachings of Jesus Christ. 
And then Paul, he committed that to Timothy. And what was Timothy exhorted to do? Well, you teach faithful men. Now, if you look at that word men, it is the word anthropos. And it is a generic term. And this is very important for us to see. It is a generic term. Because in the definition, faithful men, the word anthropos, it means a human being, whether male or female. Do you see the importance of this? Male or female. You see, Timothy, what I've told you and what I've committed to you, then you find faithful human being, male or female. And then they in turn will teach others also. They will pass the torch of truth on. And therefore, it includes every single one of us is included in the idea that the future of the congregation, whether you're a male or female, it rests upon faithful people who will then teach others and pass the torch to the next generation. And that is such an important concept to understand. And the future of the congregation rests upon faithful people. It rests upon faithful people. So the future of the uh, church, does it depend upon, well, does it depend upon perfect people? Well, no, because we have none. I mean, do we have any perfect people here? Go ahead, don't be, don't be bashful, go ahead, throw your hand up. Oh, we don't have any perfect people. Church is made up of imperfect people. You know, when we look there in the parable of the talents, did the Lord say, well done, thou good and perfect servant? No, good and faithful. That We can accomplish that. We can be faithful. We're not going to be perfect. But it's possible that we can be good and faithful servants of the Lord. And that's what the Lord commended to the five-talent man, to the two-talent man. The one-talent man, he could have been received also if he had just been faithful. He could have been good and faithful with one talent just as much as the five-talent man was faithful with his five talents. You see, that is possible. Not good and perfect, but good and faithful. So the... Future of the church is not dependent upon perfect people, but we've got the perfect Lord and the perfect Word to pass on to each generation, to those round about for the future of the church. Is the future of the church dependent upon rich members? Well, no, they can be a part of it, obviously, just as much as anybody else. As you read that text there in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, does, does the text say, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to rich men. Oh, it can be included in that. But it's not dependent upon rich people. Nor is it dependent upon poor members. Whether you got a lot of money, a lot of money or a little money, that makes no difference. If you've been blessed, great. If you've not been so blessed, well, it's still great. You can still be what is essential, that is, be faithful. Is it dependent upon capable people? That you have to have highly talented men and women? Well, they can be a part of it. They can be just as much a part of it as those that are less capable. The one talent man, he could have been received. He could have been accepted. He could have been a faithful servant just as much as the more capable ones. But the problem was, he was a slothful and wicked servant. He hid his talents. You see, the church is not dependent merely upon capable people. Though capable people can be a part of it if... If you look at that word faithful, reliable, trusty, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're capable, or you have just a little bit of capability, is it dependent upon preachers? Well, preachers can be a part of it. But the work of the Lord is not dependent merely upon preachers. They can be a part of it if they're faithful. 
Is it dependent upon Bible class teachers? Well, Bible class teachers can be a part of it if they are faithful, if they are reliable, trustworthy, that they hold to the sacred promise, they hold to the, uh, the sacred teachings of Jesus. And that they are going to be dedicated to Him and His Word and His ways and godly living and to pass the torch on to the next generation. Because none of us live here forever. You can have people that are faithful and they stand in the old paths and then, well, the torch doesn't get passed to faithful people and it comes to a grinding halt. No, it's passed on from uh, person to person to person as we see there in Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Is the future of the church, is it dependent upon, uh, well, our children? Well, our children can be a part of it. I've probably said this. I've heard it said. It's, it's not totally accurate if, unless there are some assumptions uh, understood. That is, sometimes people say, well, the future of the church depends upon our children. Well, that's sort of true. If, some conditions there, if, and there are four of them. Four things to consider. Number one, assuming they obey the gospel. I've been around a few years. Obey the gospel, 1977. So this year, I'll be 40 years old uh, spiritually uh, come this fall. Well, actually late summer, it's September 13th. That's a little bit before fall. But I'll be 40 years old. Been around a lot of different places. But not every child obeys the gospel. That's been my experience. I hope that's not the case here. I hope every young person, we've got lots of children here. We've got young men, young women, little boys, little girls. I hope they all grow up and obey the gospel. But I'm not going to be so naive to think, well, you're going to get a 100% rate of uh, people obeying the gospel among the children. So you've got to assume if the future of the church rests upon children, you've got to assume, number one, that they obey the gospel. Then you've got to assume, number two, that they remain faithful. Sometimes you have people that obey the gospel, but then, well, for other various reasons, various problems, <coughs> various situations uh, arise and they lose their way. Is that, is that not true? Yeah, that, that happens. That sometimes, you know, we work real hard and we're always glad to see our children obey the gospel and then, you know, we like to see them remain faithful, but sometimes they, they don't. And then there's another thing we've got to assume if the future of the church rests upon our children, then we've got to assume that they're going to remain here. It's possible that your children, they can obey the gospel and they can remain faithful, but then they go somewhere else. Kathy and I, we worked hard to try to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They had, they had two uh, good grandparents. They had a lot of good influences uh, of members of the congregation there at Providence, and they all obey the gospel, and they're all serving the Lord, but uh, none of them live in Rockcastle County. One lives here, one lives in Lexington, one lives in Florida, and all part of congregation, but how, so how does that work? If you say, well, the future of the church is dependent upon the children, well, yeah, they may obey the gospel, and yeah, they may be faithful, but yeah, they may be living in another place. You see how that might just happen to fall down. And then we assume that they don't go into apostasy. That's a, that's a real problem that can sometimes happen. There's a great example back in the book of Judges to consider on this point. In the book of Judges, chapter 2, I want you to notice there in verse 7. It says, And the people served Jehovah all the days of Joshua. 
and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he had did that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Jehovah, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in uh, Timnath Aris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And also, uh, and also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not Jehovah, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. If we say, well, the future of the church rests upon the children, well, that's assuming they remain faithful. You see, it's possible that the church of the Lord is just one generation away from apostasy. I mean, just going totally haywire. I mean, bringing in instrumental music and building gymnasiums and going off in denominational era. Just one generation away. Can the church of the Lord, which had been strong and faithful and standing on the, and standing in the old paths upon the ancient bulwarks of, of divine truth can fall into apostasy? It happened in the days uh, after Joshua died. And it can happen in our country and in our day also. So really the ultimate solution is is faithful people. And we hope the children, that if they, that they grow up and they obey the gospel and they remain faithful, whether they be here or part of another congregation, maybe in another state, that they continue to, to abide in the truth and, and to uh, promote the cause of Christ wherever they may be, whether it be here or somewhere else. That's ultimately what we want. Notice in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is why the real key element is faithfulness. One who is faithful to divine truth determines the future of any congregation. Because Paul talks about here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he warns about the apostasy. Apostasy is a departing from the divine ways, departing from the old paths, departing from the straight and narrow that Jesus commends to us in Matthew chapter 7. And this text talks about the great falling away. Just look back over history. You see Paul, you see the apostles establishing congregations, the work of the Lord was, was doing great in so many places, but apostasy raised its ugly head. Churches, one by one, groups, one by one, began to fall away. Error began to creep in. Iniquity began to run rapid, and people left the ways of the Lord. And this passage tells us what will restrain iniquity, and what iniquity is, and what it represents. In verse 1, Paul says, Now now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be, uh, come, uh, except there come a falling away first, or an apostasy, a defection from the truth, that the man of sin may be revealed the son of perdition. When you talk about the man of sin, the son of perdition, that is, Satan gets a hold in somebody's heart, and they begin to wreak havoc in the cause of Christ. That they become 
They become a servant of Satan. They may appear as a minister of light. Second Corinthians chapter 11 talks about Satan's servants. But they are really, they're really just uh, children of Satan. They're doing Satan's biddings as they lead people astray and cause people to fall away from divine truth. And notice as he talks about this attitude, this disposition of apostasy. And the problem that apostasy causes, who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God setteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I'm reminded of the story down in, I think it was Thorpe, Texas. And there were some brethren got the big grandiose ideal that they needed to bring in instrumental music into the worship service. And there were several that opposed it. That they saw that there's no Bible authority. They gave no Bible authority. It's just that they wanted to bring it in. And so they had brought it in. And there was a, a, a sizable group of the congregation that, that they, they rose up. And, and they had formed a letter. <coughs> and they spoke up and said, Brethren, this, this is not right. We don't have any Bible authority. And they, they presented with great protest and passion that we need to find Bible authority for what we do. The fellow that was kind of the ramrod behind bringing in the mechanical instrument of music and worship, he let them speak and let them talk, let them give them protest. And he looked over, play on, Miss Bertha. You see, he has the disposition that Paul is describing here in verse 4. Who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, setteth in the temple of God, showing that he himself is God. Did he give book, chapter, and verse? No. Did he give scripture? No. Did he give biblical reasons? No. What did he give? Well, he gave his pronouncement. Play on, Miss Bertha. The spirit of iniquity led that congregation astray. But I want you to notice as we continue on here. And this is why the key to the future of any congregation is related to what we are talking about. That is faithful people. Look at verse 5. Paul says, remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Yep. Paul and I warned and talked about these things. And then I want you to notice number 6 and 7. He says, and now you know what restrains until he might be revealed in his time. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity. I ask a lot of people sometimes, I ask definitions. Iniquity. Somebody give me the definition of iniquity. Pardon? Lawlessness. Sometimes people say, well, it's bad. Well, iniquity is bad. It's evil. Yeah, iniquity is evil, but... the the, the, the literal ideal is lawlessness. Ness meaning the state of being lawless. That is without law. Well, what law are we talking about? Well, we're talking about not the law of the United States, not the law of Rome. We're talking about the law of God. The law of God is found in the Scriptures right here in this book that we call the Bible. And that is what we have to go by. A thus saith the Lord. Book, chapter, and verse. Thus saith the Lord. What saith the Scriptures? That's what we go by. 
That is what has caused the cause of Christ to prosper throughout the centuries is people that are committed to divine truth. That Jesus is the lawgiver. Jesus' law is paramount. His will. It's about Him and His will. It's not about my will. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I want. It's not about what you think and what you want. It is about what does Jesus say in His word, in His divine law. How are we going to know that? Well, we give the book, the chapter, and the verse. That's how we determine what's right. Any question that comes up. And that illustration of the bringing in of mechanical instruments and music into the worship service, it would have been settled by the Scriptures. The problem is there is no divine authority in the New Testament under the law of Jesus Christ that gives authorization and permission that grants unto us to bring in the mechanical instrument of music into our worship. We are told to sing. There are only two kinds of music. There is vocal music. There is mechanical instrument of music. And God has authorized vocal music. He did not authorize mechanical instruments of music in our worship service. We are told to sing, not sing and play. We're told to sing. We're told to sing and make music in our hearts. That's what is revealed in the Scriptures. That is the law of Christ. If we're going to stand on the old paths, we, we pass on the teachings and the truth of Jesus Christ to each generation. And we hope all the children will get a hold of divine truth that we've got to stay within the confines because the nature of human beings and the nature of this prophecy that warns is the idea of apostasy. That, well, we we just slip away. We keep slipping away and we keep slipping away. And it may start out maybe kind of innocent with some small thing. But the problem is with digression. Once we digress from divine truth, it's kind of like going over here to the Wolf Creek Dam. And you poke a hole in that dam. Well, the water just trickles out. But then it just keeps trickling and trickling and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's the way apostasy works. That a whole flood just washes out the dam and just, uh, just destroys the whole lake. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what happens spiritually. If you don't have faithful people holding to divine truth, holding to the divine word of God, holding to the, to the, to the old path, holding to God's word, well, you're gonna have some that's gonna come in and they're not gonna be satisfied with God's word. They get these grandiose ideas, they get these, uh, wonderful things that they want to introduce and bring up into the, uh, work of Christ without divine authority. It has played out over and over again in history. It happened in the first century. It happened in the centuries following. It happens in our day and time. It happens all the time. I want you to notice that in what Paul is saying here in Second Thessalonians chapter uh, 2. Notice that verse 6 and 7 again. He talks about something restraining iniquity. In verse 6 he says, And you know what restrains or holds back. And then in verse 7, he says, you know, uh, the mystery of iniquity already is already at work. Only he who now restrains will restrain. You see, verse 6 talks about what restrains iniquity. Verse 7 talks about who restrains iniquity. What restrains iniquity? I'll tell you what restrains iniquity. It's the law of God. I mean, people begin into the, the grandiose ideas and maybe they, they, they come across that they're being so nice and, and so kind and gentle and, and so loving and, and just be real loving, lovey-dovey people, and, but they're not committed to truth. 
And they began to introduce ideals and concepts that are not found, not found in the Scriptures. You see, it takes faithful people to say, hey, we, we go by the Bible. We want a book, chapter, and verse. We want to thus saith the Lord. We want what the Scriptures teach. We want, we're here to do Jesus' will. Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, send into the kingdom of heaven. But who? But he that doeth the will of my Father which is heaven. God's will is revealed where? Right here in these Scriptures. Right here in this book we call the Bible. That's what, it, that's where the Scriptures and the truth is revealed is right here. And iniquity is not satisfied with this. It is satisfied with one's opinion, one's think so, one's uh, ideas uh, that they want to do and the teachings that they want to follow. And so what restrains? Iniquity, lawlessness? Well, it's the law of God. You see, that's the what. Verse 7, the who. That's where we get back to our text in 2 Timothy 2 too. Faithful men. Faithful anthropos. That is, faithful human beings. Whether you be man or woman, it makes no difference. You're going to have men and women that will stand up and say, Hey, well, no, wait a minute now. Let's just stop here and let's stop and look this. Let's look at this a little bit more carefully here. Now, before we go running in anything, before we begin practicing something, before we get in introducing some new idea, some new fangled teaching, well, do we have book, chapter, and verse? Do we have the Scriptures? Do we have the law of God that gives authorization to do whatever we're going to do? You see, that's why faithful, reliability, trusty people that are holding to divine law, that's why the future of the congregation rests upon faithful people. Whether you be rich or poor, whether you be male or female, whether you be capable or little capability, it's people that will hold to the old past. People that will hold to divine truth and say, no, we're just going by the Bible. That may sound nice. I mean, the denominations may practice it, and maybe they draw people in because they built the gym, and it seemed like, you know, a bunch of people, you know, in Somerset's going over there, and they got a real big crowd. Well, so be it. That's not what the Bible teaches. we got to go by what the Bible teaches. we got to go by what the Lord teaches. If we're not going to do God's will, well, well, we just might as well close this book and just go home. We're wasting our time. We're wasting our money. We're wasting our effort. Why get out on a cold Sunday Sunday evening? We just might as well stay at home if we're not going to be faithful to divine truth. We're not going to be faithful to the Lord. The five-talent man, the two-talent man, they will receive. Why? Because they were faithful. Well done, thou good and what faithful. That's what the Lord's looking for. And the future of the congregation rests upon faithful human beings. Human beings, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10, the things that I have told unto you among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Paul was a single man. Timothy was a single man. You see, it doesn't depend upon having kids, though kids can be a part of it. Family men, uh, family uh, mothers and fathers can be a part of it. But it's related to the key element, and that is faithful. That's what the Lord needs. He needs faithful human beings. You see, the future of the church is dependent upon faithful human beings. That's men and women. Just human beings that are going to be dedicated to the Lord's truth. That are going to be faithful to godly living. We're not going to live godly. We're not going to try to serve the Lord and be be something and act like something. Again, just, just quit wasting our time. Don't make a sham of it. No need to make a sham of it. We've got to be faithful to faithful uh, to, to godly living, faithful to good attitudes, 
faithful to the old paths, and then faithful to teach others. Yeah, we may faithfully teach our children. Our children, they may obey the gospel, and they may move away, but what about the work here? Well, if they remain apart, if they're faithful, they'll be a, a part to the, to the ultimate future of the congregation. But if they move someplace else, it's still going to fall back upon those that's still here. What? To teach others also. You see, when it comes to the teaching of the gospel, it's not just among our children. Yeah, we want to teach our children. We want to bring our children in and see that they obey the gospel. But we're still always trying to reach out and to reach others in the community also. There's still other people out there that need the gospel. So we need to be faithful in teaching others and thus pass the torch of what? Truth. John 8 and verse 32. Jesus says, you should know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And that's what we've got to stand on. And that's what the church here, that's what the church at Providence, that's what the church of any, any place throughout our country, throughout our state, throughout the world, in all the various countries that I've been to, you try to emphasize this point, you've got to stand on truth. It's divine truth. It's all about God and God's will and what God's truth says because that's what's going to set us free. There is so much religious error out there. There's so much problems and, and iniquity and lawlessness that is taught over and over again. And sometimes it creeps into churches. And there are churches at one time that were faithful and reliable. But iniquity raised its ugly head. And they're way off in, way off in left field. And they're way out there. And that's the sad truth of the matter. That's the reality of history. And if we don't learn the lessons of history, we are doomed to repeat them. And what causes a congregation to remain steadfast is people that are faithful. Whether you're very capable, whether you have a little capability, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, whether you're young or whether you're old, it is faithful people that will stand up and say, we've got to stay with divine truth and then pass that on to the next generation, passing on the torch of truth that it may carry on from generation to generation. Because the cause of Christ is just one gener- generation away from total apostasy. Well, the question is, do you want to be a part of God's church? You can. There's a scheme of redemption, of divine truth, of how to become a Christian. I'm not going to tell you, well, you know, just pray the sinner's prayer, or, or just accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and, you know, like uh, it's taught in the denominations. That's not what the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches. I believed it at one time. I didn't really know any better. used to listen to Billy Graham, so I just kind of followed what, what I'd heard growing up, uh, watching him on television. My mom would, would watch Billy Graham on television. I, that's kind of the way I did it. But then you begin studying the Bible. It's like, well, no, that's not exactly what the Bible teaches. And so you've got to get, get your life turned around and get in harmony with divine truth. And that is to obey the steps of salvation. If you're here and you want to obey the gospel, you can do that. Come up out of that watery grave and just keep serving the Lord, growing and being faithful. And be a part of the future of the congregation. Because why? Because you're going to be dedicated to the Lord. And if you fall away, would you come back to repentance and prayer? We're going to sing this song, number 688, or 488. And if we can help you in any way, you come and let us know. We'll be glad to assist while together as we stand and as we sing.